Hello, and you are listening to Eco Justice Radio on KPFK Los Angeles, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome. I am Jessica Aldridge. On today's show, Biotonomy, Designing Nature-Based Green Buildings and Cities, host Carrie Kim interviews Moeen Nodei, CEO and lead architect of Biotonomy, specializing in nature-based solutions for buildings and cities across the world. The architectural design from Biotonomy uses a holistic and nature-based approach for buildings and cities to address the climate and biodiversity emergency. Together with an international network, the team works to accelerate the transformation to autonomous development with nature-based solutions. Biotonomy's mission is to make buildings and cities become a force for restoring the natural world. Moeen Nodei is the founder, CEO, and lead architect for Biotonomy. Thank you for tuning in to Biotonomy, designing nature-based green buildings and cities with host, Carrie Kim. Aloha. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Carrie Kim, and we're thrilled to be here with Moeen Nodehi of Biotonomy to talk about a holistic, nature-based approach to building and cities to address the climate and the current biodiversity crisis. We thank the Tongva ancestors of these lands as our show takes place on the ancestral homelands of the Tongva. Welcome, Moeen. Thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning from Malaga, Spain. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You know, the pandemic has catalyzed many people to deeply consider and reconsider how we're living. Uh, Many people have actually abandoned cities in favor of simpler, more nature-connected living or simply out of uh, necessity because they can no longer even afford a life in the cities. We recognize the unsustainable crash course of continuing our current consumerist Anthropocene-centered lifestyle. We know, especially since 2020 and before then, that current systems of politics economics and the inequities in society is unraveling before our eyes. And this can be received actually as good news. So we can respond as you're showing and demonstrating to the turbulence of our times creatively, collaboratively, and learn to harmonize versus domineer nature. So if you could share with us, you know, indigenous peoples have been doing this for countless eons, and we we would do well to learn and embody their ancient wisdom. If you could share with us about the name Biotonomy, what what is this pointing to? Yeah, so um, basically, like you mentioned, what we do really is something that the ancient people have practiced for a long time. Before we even um, had infrastructure, we were developing our buildings based on the natural environment. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were using the right forms of design to achieve the performance we want out of our building. Mm-hmm. But, but then when we basically invented infrastructure, we started to just building structures and connect them to the utilities that we consume. Mm-hmm. So somehow we kind of lost 
the knowledge of how to design buildings uh, without depending on infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But when you look at all the ancient civilizations, uh, when there was no infrastructure, they, they were able to develop buildings that maintain comfortable temperatures, that had water, and they could process their own sewage. Mm -hmm. So they were living and sustaining life uh, on the planet. And so does many other species on this planet. They all have learned how to sustain life mm -hmm. without depending on centralized infrastructure. Systems. Have you been learning also from um, our relatives in the natural world and how they build their homes and Absolutely. colonies? And Absolutely. So basically... you studied most or what's the most intriguing thing you've learned in doing that? Well, basically, all the species have different solution of how they sustain life on Earth. And, I mean, many times trees are a very good example because they, they, they really show how you live, you know, um, in a circular way, how, mm -hmm. you, how you reuse the byproducts that you produce for, for something else. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, looking at trees, looking at any kind of species on this planet, we, 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 we learn uh, their strategy of how to do it. It's, it's not trying just to replicate, uh, trying to build a building that looks like a tree. You have to understand the strategy. How, how do they treat waste? Mm -hmm. right? Functionality, so you look right? Exactly. So you look at those strategies and then we mimic them and then we implement them into our buildings to achieve mm -hmm. the same performance. Would you say one of the key differences is that nature, of course, is already operating interdependently versus in human society. Most things are much more separatist. You don't work so much as a network. People have single family home dwellings. Everything. I mean, it didn't always used to be like that. You know, we used to live in villages and have be more community um, centric. Correct. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at once again, if you look at trees, you you might see you know individual trees growing here and there. But if you look what's going on underneath the ground, uh, you you simply realize that all the roots are connected with each other, and they in between them they send. Uh, nutrients to each other, whoever needs needs mm -hmm. it, whoever has it more, they send it to each other. So they 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 cooperate. Yeah, and, share. <laughs> and that's the way we need to design our future cities. Is that we need to make all our buildings produce their own utilities, but also to co-work with each other and help each other. That when one building is low on one uh, kind of resource. There's the buildings surrounding it can supply them and help. Yeah, it goes back to village-minded consciousness, I would say. You know, that, that concept of sharing is very important, especially, you know, given the backdrop of the pandemic at the early moments of the pandemic when people experience, especially here, a lot of hoarding, you know, just kind of the worst, the worst that we could experience from people on, their, on a material level in that way. Correct. You know, could you share a little about your backstory? Did you emerge out of a career in conventional architecture? Yes, I have an international architectural engineering degree. Mm -hmm. so I started to, to study 
around the world and I started to work in different parts of the world and I very quickly got involved in some of the biggest construction projects in the world, uh, developing high-rise buildings, skyscrapers, Mm. basically. Mm. And I really quickly realized that this is completely the wrong direction we're going. Mm -hmm. This is nowhere close to where we need to go. So the conventional way of building kind of turned me off very quickly, Mm -hmm. and I started to search for alternative ways of building. So naturally, I started to look at how ancient people were building Mm -hmm. uh, on this planet because they designed their buildings without uh, having infrastructure. And then the more I was digging into that, I came across architects around the world who were also going in this direction. And my path came across with uh, Michael Reynolds, Mm -hmm. who is a famous architect who is based in New Mexico. Yeah, Earthship Biotexture, right? Exactly, the founder of Earthship Biotexture. And I contacted him and I was like so convinced that what he was doing was going the right direction. So I told him, you know, I'll I'll come, I'll work for free for you. I just want to learn everything that you're doing. I was so inspired by his work. Mm -hmm. So I went there and I started working with him and then eventually... I got hired and I started traveling with the team all around the world and developing these buildings. And I realized, you know, this is the future. This is how we have to develop our buildings. Mm-hmm. And so I decided early on that I'm going to spend, you know, at least 10 years to master this concept. And then I'm going to develop my own branch out of it, which mm-hmm. is autonomy today. Mm-hmm. And, offer, you know, more alternative designs and with more alternative materials, but also to bring back the concept to urban areas because, you know, that's very important because most of our pollution is happening in urban areas. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I feel that the more people abandon the cities, they become more dystopic, you know, that the cities actually need to change because they are a locus for many people, like you said, of pollution and of kind of the... we we know and anticipate the the boom and rise of these megacities, you know, of just of incredible density. And I, I don't know what you have to say about people who have the approach that we need to be more dense. We need to be more vertical. And, you know, what is your feeling about that? As you were saying, you used to build high rises and you felt that was a wrong direction. But some people are absolutely adamant that we need to build vertical. Well, well, see, the, the, the reason we, we, we keep, you know, making our cities is so dense is because the capital is there, the, the, the money is there. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we value those pieces of properties, those pieces of land as a good investment because if we develop our buildings there, then we get a good uh, return of investment when we sell them. Okay, I agree financially that's a good strategy, but... Now we understand that the table have turned and we have to be more uh, ecological minded when we develop mm-hmm. our buildings. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of just, you know, packing onto our buildings, we should be more responsible and we should actually place our buildings in, in areas that we humans have degraded mm-hmm. and, and make a plan that we're going to develop here and turn this area back and create an ecosystem here 
re restore the ecosystem that we destroyed here mm -hmm. uh, and, and put more value into that. Because see, today we just go and we, we, we take a piece of property and we just clear all the ecosystem oh, yeah. that already I mean, existed. So destructive. Yeah, and, and we, we, we do it in cities as well. You know, this is how, how we kill the ecosystems in our city. So, so we're saying, you know, because see, we, we can't hide the fact that every building takes, has a, a footprint on this planet. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we place that footprint uh, in a responsible way. Mm -hmm. so, so I believe that placing our buildings on degraded land with a plan of, of reusing our byproducts to help restore uh, it. the ecosystem is a more uh, responsible approach. Uh, more, and more harmonious living, you know, because I, I can't tell you, especially living here, it's Tongvalands, but we also have to say it's Los Angeles because that's really kind of the superficial level. The way people live is from a totally different paradigm than the Tongva. And it, it's, it's, very difficult to witness every day every single square inch of land being developed and in the wrong way as you know according to what we're talking about so you know people just take their bulldozers they never think twice of what's happening they don't even know what's happening in the soil to the microorganisms to the mycelial network they have no idea and nor do they seem to care right. i think it's just a lot of ignorance that we have and it's a it's a big i mean what do you have to say about the educational process of getting people to remember that we are related to everything around us and underneath us, above us. Yeah, I, I, I think you made a great point there that education ha has an important part of this because let's just take designers, architects, for example, in this world. Architects and, and builders are just educated to build the same way over and over and over. Mm -hmm. yeah, almost and if you're rewarded back. for it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're rewarded for these, you know, artistic buildings that they make. But and you know, they they greenwash them these days, they just decorate them with a lot of plants and call them sustainable. But underneath the facade, all the buildings are still consuming from the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But see, uh, what needs to fundamentally change is. Basically, the environmental crisis that we're facing today is pretty much a giant design crisis. Mm -hmm. we, we, the way we design our buildings, our landscape, our roads, the way we consume everything is just a design crisis. If we go back and understand how to design more aligned with the natural world, then you know we, we won't create all these pollution that we're creating in this world. So... So what I'm saying is that the future of architecture should be about developing and designing ecosystems, not just about developing structures. That's the only you make. That's the only thing architects are uh, learning in school today is how to create just dead structures. There's no relationship with the natural world. So you can't blame the architects when they come out and they have no understanding of how to mm -hmm. develop a building that is operating in harmony with the natural world. Do you so, work with any kind of architectural schools? I mean, places like SciArc, places that are more progressive, that there may be interest in, you know, obviously this can be a whole movement globally and needs to be. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. We are in some early discussions with some universities mm-hmm. where we're bringing this concept to them because this is actually far beyond than what they're teaching in their universities. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still very much stuck in the whole green building certification system, which is uh-huh. like a 50 years old concept. <laughs> you know? Tell us what's wrong with that. <laughs> All these certifications that we have for green buildings today, you know, they, they, they're called LEED certification, mm-hmm. PM certification. There's so many of them today. All of these benefit the economy much more than the ecology. Mm. And they're all based on a theoretical certification. So basically, you design a building and then you calculate how it's going to consume energy. And then you go and apply for the certification before you even have built the building. You Mm. get your certification, you market yourself as a green building, you build it, and then when they've gone back to these buildings and <clears throat> made tests on them, they've seen that most of them actually consume much more energy than they promised. So it is very clear now in the market today, they call this the energy performance gap, that these kind of certification systems are not sustainable. This is just, you know, we're just uh, lying to ourselves. So obviously now more and more, companies are realizing this and less people want to actually recognize themselves with this certification system. So you think that's going to change then, or you see that changing now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, first of all, the only thing these certifications are addressing basically most of the time is energy, is lowering energy consumption. They all, everyone is talking about carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that when you look at buildings today, it's not only emissions that is the problem. The amount of water consumption and the amount of sewage that we produce in our buildings also have a big impact on the biodiversity loss and the climate change. Mm -hmm. Look, one simple fact that almost 80% of today's sewage is still not treated goes straight into nature basically that says a lot about how our buildings are developed i'm sure most people don't know that either yeah exactly because because we we see no relation you know we flush the toilet and then we we don't see what happens while in our buildings every time you're consuming the water that water goes automatically into a greenhouse zone where you are growing plants Mm -hmm. so you're reusing your own water your your gray water mm-hmm. for growing food. Mm-hmm. So if you put something bad in your water, if you use chemical soap, if you use chemical detergent, medication, that's, that's going to straight go into your food, right? So there's a relationship there that makes you to realize, okay, I should be more responsible what I put in my water, what I put in my sewage drain. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, we're going to... Uh, Take a break in just one minute, but <clears throat> I want to say that, uh, you know, I watched one of your videos on YouTube and it was a drone's eye view over structures. They were embedded. It looked like in, you know, kind of in a forested area. It was a straight, like a scene out of Avatar. And in while we're in flight, 
over this area, the tagline asks us to imagine living with nature free from economic stress. So we're going to take a break right here, but we'll come back with that and have you elaborate. Okay. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We air every Friday at 3 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and every Monday at 9 a.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. You're listening to Biotonomy, designing nature-based green buildings and cities, with host Carrie Kim and guest Moeen Nodei, CEO and lead architect for Biotonomy. So Moeen, if you could go back and explain about this tagline, because of course it's so enticing uh, to hear that we could live with nature, free from economic stress, especially coming off the pandemic, as we know so many people are struggling and have struggled financially. And it's not just since 2020. You know, there's many, many people, as we know, in black and brown communities, there's so much social inequity going on and has been going on for hundreds of years. So if you could speak to us on how Biotonomy envisions this possibility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, besides on focusing on on nature's well-being, we also have to focus on our own well-being. So, and, and, you know, the the planet is stressed and so are we. And this is clear. One of the main reasons we are stressed is because this this constant of making a living. We have to make a living in order to, to survive. You know, while you look at any other species on this planet, They've figured out their survival already. Even a worm knows how to survive without having to make a movement. <laughs> so, so how come we don't understand this? And yet we think we are, you know, the most intellectual uh, <laughs> species on this planet. Well, we constantly are working in order to pay our basic needs to survive. Mm-hmm. We, we need comfortable shelter. Mm-hmm. which we need housing. So we have to pay rent every month. Mm-hmm. For our mm-hmm. We need food. Mm-hmm. So we have to pay for food every day. We need water. So we have to pay for water every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need sanitation. We pay, everyone pays for their sanitation. Most people don't think about it, but it's included in your rent. Mm-hmm. You're basically your sewage. You have to pay for sewage. your trash. Exactly. So, when, when, when you make a building operate autonomously without depending on infrastructure, mm-hmm. it's all the system for it to produce all the use, utilities that you need is already incorporated in the design. Mm-hmm. So the building is able to produce natural uh, temperatures and keep you comfortable inside. Mm-hmm. The building is able to produce clean, drinkable water for you. Mm-hmm. You can produce uh, fruits and vegetables inside your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can produce your own electricity. Basically, all the basic necessities that we need to live a comfortable life on this planet, we can make our buildings produce that for us. Right. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing just to think of getting rid of every single utility bill you have, essentially. And having your own water, food production, all of this contained within your own homes 
And then, of course, sharing. You know, I don't know if you are right now or if you have any projects underway that are being built more as a village. It was like that one video I was discussing earlier, which it looked like it was more of kind of a, a community setting. Yes, absolutely. We're actually involved in, in several different uh, community projects at this point uh, where we're looking at, you know, l- like that video you're referring to. The, that's a project that's uh, planned going to uh, happen in, in Canada. Uh-huh. And we have several other projects similar to that that were involved in, in Greece and in Italy and here in Spain as well. Uh, because we've proven that it's possible to develop buildings that operate autonomously. So now there's so many buildings around the world that operate like this. You know, people are now open and ready to do it on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. I think people, this, the pandemic also has taught many people, I think, that living in isolation isn't some idealistic thing. It's actually much more difficult to live isolated. Absolutely, absolutely. We know it's already happening that there's many eco-communities, there's land trusts, there's different ways. And then we have indigenous peoples who have lived in community. That is just the way they live. And so, you know, it's natural that we would be understanding it's time to return to that. And that's going to be a, a solution to our species survival. Could you talk to us about where it is that you have been receiving the greatest support for autonomous building globally. You know, this includes dealing with regulations and support through governance that um, uh, maybe you're entirely, you know, off grid in that sense. So if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, um, honestly, the the greatest support is coming from people, Mm -hmm. from normal people like like me and you, people who understand the importance of, of taking it to this direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most challenging has been the regulations. Okay. Absolutely. Ten years ago, it was so difficult to get permission for building a building like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, we're much more uh, aware about the environmental crisis. So now the regulations are opening up slowly and slowly. But that's the regulation definitely has been the biggest challenge. But the amount of people who, who gets involved in our project and come and volunteer and really put their heart and put their soul into it because they so believe this is the future way of living. Mm-hmm. This is really what keeps motivating me to, you know, to, to go for this, even though well, I'm, I'm completely... The tide will turn. The tide will turn, as we know. It's kind of like taking a barge and trying to re- redirect a barge going in one direction. So we know it takes a little bit of time, but then there's also momentum. So, uh, you know, we know that part of those regulations, I'm sure not all of it is to protect people, but is really kind of by design or by capitalistic design to keep a certain system going that perpetuates itself, just like the medical system or the Western medical system. You know, there's investment in keeping the same thing going because certain people profit off that system. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's one part of it that's that's pretty clear to most of us. But on the other hand, you know, there's also the truth that a lot of regulations we put out there is, you know, for our own, for based on good intentions as well. You know, we're we're trying to make sure we're doing things in a safe way 
but there's just so much of it at this point that we're just suffocating ourselves. We're not allowing innovation to happen. Mm-hmm. You know? So this is where, you know, we, we have to work with policymakers. Right. We, we can't fight, fight them, you know. Yeah. We, and they, change we, policy, right? Educate yeah. and change policy. Work together. Exactly. To exactly. Best policies. Yeah, and this is what, what we're going for. You know, we're creating collaborations with universities so we can do uh, R&D projects with uh, universities where we can gather data and we can take this data and go to the policymakers and be like, look, this is good for the environment. This is good for uh, our well-being. This is good for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and make them make the policy because unless they may change the policy, we won't see great change happen you know so that's why we have to work within the system and we have to we can't wait for our leaders to take decisions you know most of our leaders are not even aware of the possibilities you know we have we as people have to stand up and show and become an example for our leaders exactly well they don't live like this you know we know most of the leaders are not living in this manner of autonomous, you know, living. So, you know, I, w- I, I am curious, though, whether there are any government, uh, you know, countries that actually would support where you could actually work with a government that was more progressive or more you know, aware, you know, whether it's a place like Costa Rica. Or, I mean, not that every government, I mean, even Costa Rica is not, it's not like a purest place. There's plenty of corruption in every country. But, you know, yeah, I don't rule out that possibility. Based on our experience, the the countries that we call the most developed countries is actually the most difficult countries to to make this innovation happen in. In other parts of the world, where gladly they haven't gathered as much as regulations, Mm -hmm. they're so much more open to this kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Also, because they they also lack a lot of infrastructure, so they really understand the need of developing buildings without infrastructure exactly so so in other parts of the world you know in asia in in africa in south america they're much more open to to this way and they're actually making um faster progress because of this yeah and they will leapfrog you know uh central america too i imagine you know there's so many places where where the crises of uh economics also drives this change Absolutely. Uh, That's a great point, because look, before we we were all focusing that, you know, this is just an environmental problem. But now this has turned into a giant financial problem, because every time there's an extreme weather event happening Mm -hmm. in our in our cities, we are paying up for that. Mm -hmm. We are paying so much money. Uh, I was reading somewhere that they're estimated that just the United States is paying annually up to $360 billion of the cost of these extreme weather events and climate change. You know, every time a hurricane comes, every time there's a flood, it wipes out the infrastructure and someone has to rebuild that. Right. And if we're going to keep doing that over and over, that's not a good investment. So now, you know, um, the economical market is also understanding the the financial benefits of developing autonomous buildings mm-hmm. instead of infrastructure development. Can you speak about longevity? You know, I was in the Ecuadorian Amazon with the Achuar tribe and Pachamama Alliance, and they 
would say down there that if a home lasted more than 10 years, it wasn't considered a successful home. You know, the best home was one that dissolved right back into nature in 10 years. And I wonder how, how are you building and how long do you anticipate the autonomous structures to last? I mean, obviously it's not, you know, fixed in stone, set in stone, but. Well, well, actually, see, if, if you compare uh, our buildings to conventional building, you will quickly realize that the amount of mass that we integrate in these buildings are much more. This is how we maintain comfortable temperatures in our buildings, is that we integrate more mass. Mm-hmm. Now, this, we mainly just use natural materials to do this. We integrate earth and uh, basically stone, materials that can store temperatures. Mm-hmm. So our buildings are way more massive than, than conventional buildings. Conventional buildings are built with minimal, you know, very thin walls. That's mm-hmm. why they constant are consuming energy to keep uh, comfortable temperatures. Mm-hmm. But our buildings are basically integrated into the landscape. You can't really, like this is another problem we have when we do building permissions. You can't really put a clear line of where is the landscape and where is the building because it's so integrated into the land. Okay. So you really like, you don't, you don't mess with the, the nature around it. You just right. integrate yourself right. into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, like w- w- when I design a building for me in my mind, you know, that building should last at least hundred years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's naturally built. So it's, you know, Exactly. It's naturally built, it's integrated into the earth. So mm-hmm. if, if you do that approach, it, it should last long. I mean, that's really what's sustainable is something that can last long, mm-hmm. you know. So that's important, I think, that, that we develop buildings that, that are solid because not only do they last longer, but they also uh, perform better. Right. I think in the Amazon, they would allow it to dissolve and then they would find a new home elsewhere. So they weren't impacting that particular area of land. I, I mean, I, I really would have to ask to know more, but, but that's what they would do. Let it dissolve, and then they'd, they'd locate their, relocate their home. The, the, the thing is that they are really living a simple, basic life. The, mm-hmm. These people have yeah. really no needs. They, yeah, and, yeah. And almost no materiality outside of, you know, exactly. They, they basically, they live off nature, you know, they live with nature. Mm-hmm. They don't even, they don't even have a word for nature yeah. in, in these cultures. Separate, you know? Yeah, you know. But yeah. the thing is with us today, we've collected so many needs. We have so many needs today, the, what we call the modern man, that, you know, we want to have a washing machine and we want to have this and that. We call this uh, our standard of living today. And if you're going to live like that, Yes, you have to develop a more advanced building. And mm-hmm. if you're going to go with that approach, then, you know, you should build something that is solid, that lasts, you know, in many generations. But their approach, why they're able to, you know, have their building built every 10 years is because they live of nature. Right. You know? They don't have that. Yeah, exactly right. As you said, they don't have all these extra needs. You know, they wash in the river and they, it's not. It's a very yeah, and, and that's not where people want to go, you know. Like, if you promote people, like, go back into nature and, and build your, they can't, you know. They they didn't grow up like that. They've lost that wisdom of how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. 
best way to address their needs today is mm -hmm. to do that we build comfortable buildings. See, right. if you want people to change uh, a behavior, you have to offer them something better. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing at Biotonomy. See, many people believe that living a sustainable uh, life means that you have to sacrifice. Right, be deprived or something, yeah. But we're, we're showing them that that is not the truth. First of all, you don't have to sacrifice in design. You can actually make your buildings look much better than the average buildings are. And second of all, you will gain so much more well-being out of living in this way compared to, you know, living in a, in a build environment. Toxic environment, basically. It's off gassing and uh, all the rest, you know. You know, not to mention being fully wired up. And I had a naturopathic mentor for many, many years, and he used to always complain about the impact of rebar in conventional architecture and how that um, interferes with our nervous system regulation and, you know, electromagnetic frequencies. So could you speak about those benefits of uh, autonomous buildings made from natural materials? Yeah, I mean, uh, naturally, see, we, our, our brains, like our entire body was developed in, in natural environment. So the more we are surrounded by natural materials, natural forms and geometry, the more sense of harmony we will naturally uh, feel. And, you know, people, a lot of people, like when they enter ancient buildings or structures, they naturally sense a feeling of harmony because when, especially like temples, you know, when they design buildings like this, they had this in mind to create a space yes. that creates harmony. So they, most of the time, just by using the right geometry mm -hmm. in their design, they can achieve that well-being. Mm -hmm. Now, if you also use, you know, natural materials like stone, like earth, this right. will also affect you. Um, vibrationally, like uh, on a cellular level, you know? Oh, you can feel the difference. I mean, I don't think anyone, I mean, uh, it's so tangible and visceral, the difference. You know, I remember being in a 100% pine home down in Panama, being in, you know, Adobe, Adobe and towels. I mean, these, these things are really palpable. Yeah, exactly. Now, here, here's the thing, like we, we don't shove this in people's throat. You know, you, you can still build the autonomous building without having to, to use natural materials. Mm -hmm. If you don't, we, we do recommend to do it, but mm -hmm. if people don't want to do it, we're, we're still open to help them and make their building happen with, with the kind of materials that they prefer. Right. And you had said that you, you also designed for existing buildings to make them maybe leaning more autonomously. So I don't know what that looks like or if it's just you work with the person to see what it is that they, how far they want to go. No, absolutely. I mean, our existing buildings uh, all need to be retrofitted mm -hmm. to perform better. Mm -hmm. um, so we, anyway, you know, a lot of old buildings need to be fixed up. So instead of just doing it the conventional way, let's look at it, how we can do it, um, and make them perform more autonomously? How can we integrate nature-based solutions into already existing buildings? And we've done projects like this, and we're involved in, in actually large-scale projects right now in Scandinavia where they have to 
reform all their social uh, housing that they develop because you know they're consuming a lot of energy and they're shown not to be a healthy environment mm-hmm. so together with them we're now looking into how we can integrate our nature-based solution and make their buildings perform autonomously and cooperate with nature so we're adding uh, on these on these concrete rectangle of buildings we're adding greenhouses and we're creating jungles in front of them and we're creating this natural environment where we're reusing the wastewater from the building into the greenhouse zone and we're treating it with biological methods and creating you know natural capital for urban environments basically so retrofitting existing buildings i would say is even is even more important because we have already so many structures right we, we just understand how to make them to operate with their uh, surrounding environment they can also become autonomous exactly. we're going to take a break right here Moline, and then we'll come right back Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We air every Friday at 3 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and every Monday at 9 a.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. You're listening to Biotonomy, designing nature-based green buildings and cities, with host Carrie Kim and guest Moeen Nodei, CEO and lead architect for Biotonomy. So, Moeen, could you explain some of the, you know, the core Biotonomy design principles? Yes, absolutely. So, basically... Our design principles are based on the necessities that we have to live on this planet, the necessities we have to sustain life. So the the first principle, the first design principle uh, that we integrate in our building is natural heating and cooling. Mm-hmm. So we've we've proven that by design and by choosing materials and by placing them in a strategic way. Uh, we can develop buildings that can maintain comfortable temperatures all year round, mm-hmm. both, in, both in extreme warm and extreme cold weathers. Like mm-hmm. we, we've done this, we've, we've proven that this is possible mm-hmm. without, without depending on any electrical or mechanical components. That's all, all based on physics. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second design principle is to make all our buildings harvest their own water and produce their own drinkable water. Mm -hmm. We design the roof and the surrounding landscape. So every time there is rain, we make sure to harvest that water and store it under the ground. Mm -hmm. We have our own filtration system Mm -hmm. and we produce our own clean water. And and then all the buildings uh, produce wastewater, sewage. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is that we integrate um, re- a water recycling system in these buildings mm-hmm. where we use biological methods to treat all the sewage on the site. Mm-hmm. 
So everything is treated on the site. And basically how this works is that we take our wastewater and we turn it into natural capital. We turn it into biomass. Mm -hmm. We use plants to filter and clean it, but also we use plants to consume um, the wastewater. Mm -hmm. So in the end of the cycle, there's no wastewater. um, um, Nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. Everything is just turned into... Recycled and recycled and recycled. Exactly. So I have a question. Well, you probably have more design principles. Are there more? Those are some basic... Yeah, I can can mention the last ones quickly. Uh, And then we have food production inside of the buildings, which is related to the recycling uh, Mm -hmm. and the cleaning of the wastewater. Mm -hmm. So all the buildings that, that we build have an integrated greenhouse zone where they produce their own fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people have taken to the next level. They even have their own ponds where they produce their own fish, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And then electricity is very well known. We can, with renewable uh, energy, with solar panels and wind power, we can produce our own electricity. And also the, the last principle is that we use as much as possible natural and recycled materials to develop these buildings. So with the electricity, you can actually sustain the household, all of their electrical needs just from within the structure. Yes. And and the reason why we can do that is because, see, because almost 80% of the energy consumption of every building goes to heating and cooling. Mm-hmm. So when your building is heating and cooling itself naturally, you only need about uh, 20 to 30% of uh, electricity for your appliances. Mm-hmm. So, right. It's like the building, you're right. I mean, obviously, that's... Mm-hmm. Makes so sense. the investment for solar panel and wind power suddenly becomes affordable because you're only using electricity for lights and some simple pumps uh, to run your water system. Mm-hmm. And what, what about Wi-Fi? Because, you know, people are still connecting globally, even if they're going to be in this kind of environment? I don't know what you envision as far as that. Well, uh, absolutely. Wi-Fi is, you know, uh, um, a modern need that we have today. Mm-hmm. And today, there's no good enough off-grid solution for that. So mm-hmm. most of the buildings that we build, they're just connected to the Wi-Fi. But, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be uh, innovations, innovations in- around that. Sure, as more and more people do it. No, I have a question around the water. So this is more about when we talk about rainwater and rainwater capture, because I don't know if you're familiar with Zach Bush, but he talks a lot. He's done a lot of research with the Farm Belt here and has done a lot of research around glyphosate and how much glyphosate, because it's water soluble, you know, known as Roundup by many, has penetrated into the water systems and that it's even in 75% of the rainwater now. So uh, I just wonder how how we deal with that in our filtration systems. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I, I know about Zach. I think he's an amazing inspiration. And he's, he's completely right. It's unfortunately, it's not only our water, it's our soil, it's our ground. You know, every drop of water that hits that ground that's polluted gets polluted as well. So even the groundwater is unfortunately polluted as well. So basically we have in our filtration system beside of particle filters, we also have filters that kill 
like on a um, microbiological level mm -hmm. and makes the water really pure. And we've tested the water from our systems and compared with water coming from bottled water or water coming from taps in countries where they're certified drinking water taps. And our result always showed that it's a cleaner water. Mm -hmm. I know the bottled water is terrible on a lot, on a lot of levels. Yeah. But, but also, you know, I wonder what kind of innovations are happening. People so, work with mycoremediation and, and what, what the possibility is with, with mushrooms to clean up water, because I know that is something that is also happening. Exactly. And this is the great part of what we do is that every time there's a new innovation in one of these design principles, we integrate them into our buildings. You know, we, we didn't invent these solutions. All we're doing is the combination that we're putting them together to operate holistically. That's the innovation we do. But the, the solar panels, the water filtrations, and all of these are not things that we invented. Mm -hmm. But we're, 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 we're demonstrating how you combine these to make buildings operate autonomously. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about some of your, you know, premier projects? You have projects all over the world. You have projects in uh, Haiti and Puerto Rico and Indonesia. This um, ecotourism island in Indonesia is very interesting, as well as the primary school in Haiti. If, if you could just choose a couple of projects to highlight for listeners. Absolutely. So, uh, so some of them are uh, projects where I collaborate with Earthship Biotecture with Michael Reynolds, and a lot of the school projects that we do uh, around the world are together with Michael Reynolds, mm -hmm. and they're g gaining a lot of uh, popularity because this is the kind of environment you want to teach the young people in. Mm -hmm. You want to teach the young people in an environment that is demonstrating the way of living, you know? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you're demonstrating how to live sustainably in a building that is not sustainable itself, what are you really teaching kids? And they will remember that too because they're so impressionable when they're exactly. young, you know? So, so these, these schools that we're doing around the world, we've done a lot in, in uh, South America and the, the latest one we did was in Haiti and then now we're going back together with Earthships in, in May to Puerto Rico to build another one. The, the children are part of the, the entire system. They understand that when they consume the water, where does the water go? What does the, when they flush the toilet, what does that turn into, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so so the, the, the school projects are gaining a lot of popularity, and I'm very happy about that because that's one of my favorite projects to be involved in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with bioautonomy, we recently did uh, a building in Lebanon mm -hmm. where it was a very interesting project because, see, Lebanon is a, a country where there's a lot of conflict in between different groups. Mm -hmm. I've probably never experienced conflict on that level in, in anywhere else I've been to. Mm -hmm. So this, this project that we did there was cultural center. Uh, that the building was going to be used uh, as. Mm -hmm. So the, the way we uh, organized the building, we turned it into um, a program 
to uh, to promote peace in between these groups. So we basically, it's like a conflict resolution program. So we, we brought people from different groups and we put them on the same team to develop this autonomous buildings. Uh-huh. So we had to deal with a lot of conflict in the beginning uh, between these people. But after a couple of weeks when everyone really started to understand what they were developing together and they were really feeling that they were bringing change into this world, they all, we turned into best friends. You know? <laughs> By cooperating. <laughs> exactly. And these are people coming from different religious groups that, you know, really hate each historical, other. Yeah, historical, yeah, historical animosity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But this project made them to understand that, look, we all need the same things. And if we can cooperate, we can develop, you know, these buildings that can provide the things we need to sustain life. Exactly. Working for Common Cause always changes you know, yeah. has the potential for change anyway. Could you speak about how accessible bioautonomy is for different socioeconomic classes? You know, is there a sliding scale approach to building? You know, how do you, how, how affordable is it for your average person? Or again, is it just that they, you choose, you know, what's within their budget, how they could live, afford to live? Right. So going back to when we were speaking about how the ancient people live so basic and uh, that's because, you know, they pretty much haven't gathered so much needs, you know, this this comes back to us. Look, the the more needs you have as a person, the more you're going to have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So if you're ready to, to meet your needs, you can really develop these buildings affordably. You can even see a, a lot of methods that we use is is not rocket science. A lot of it is based on logic and it's low tech because it's nature based. It's also low tech. So a lot of people just come and build with us and learn it. And then they go and do it themselves because it's more affordable to do it yourself. Yeah. So if you really, you know, uh, want to do this and you're really passionate about it, you can come you can learn uh, from us and you can go and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. If you, on the other hand, don't have that time and uh, you would like someone else to come and build it for it, then we can design something within your budget and something that meets your needs mm-hmm. and build that for you. If you're a person who has a lot of needs, you want you know a two-story building and you want to have three washing machines and a big flat you screen. Want your own swimming pool and, <laughs> and all of that. That's fine. We can design you something that fits your needs and that operates in harmony with nature because it is as important to address those people's needs as those who has less needs, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, there's all levels of people in it, and we are living here and happening, cohabiting on this planet, and it's necessary for everyone to change to the degree that they can. And hopefully in that transition, they just keep going, you know? It's like you start... A little bit, one step, and then they leads to you know ten more steps. Exactly. Could you tell us a little bit about the uh, the ecotourism island in Indonesia? Because it just um, I I love to hear that it's this environment with no use of fossil fuel. Just that alone is is like music to the ears, you know. Right. So in Indonesia, they they develop a lot of tourist areas because they they, they live on forest. Mm-hmm. So, 
So they had all these islands where they just were going to do the conventional way of tourism. But all these islands, you know, they need infrastructure from the mainland. So they have to bring, you know, all these infrastructure through the ocean. Mm-hmm. So they have to destroy, destroy a lot of ecosystems in the oceans to bring the utilities. So we went in there and we, we, we were like, look, why do all that investment and why destroy all that nature when you can develop your buildings uh, with nature-based solutions and you can make them operate themselves? And this was new for them. So they, they were very interested. So they took a whole island and they said, okay, Let's try this on this island. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I was early on with, uh, with them in the discussion of how to do this. And they wanted to do this on a large scale. So I went back to Michael Reynolds from Earthship Biotexture. And I told him, look, these guys really want to make a big effort to turn this island into um, an autonomous eco-resort. Mm-hmm. So I got Michael Reynolds involved in it. Mm-hmm. And then we we started, we we made two buildings on that island. And then, unfortunately, somehow in their um, government, the the people who were in charge for that project changed. Mm -hmm. And they kind of changed their mind of the direction they wanted to go with that island. So it's kind of on hold at the moment. Okay. So we will have to see if we get the opportunity to go back. Continue. There. But, mm-hmm. but we basically, we built two buildings and we proved that, you know, even in a tropical climate, you know, you, you can build these buildings. Right. And, and actually up-level what you're doing, like you said, to not have to depend on all that infrastructure. Exactly. So, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the learning and volunteering with you and how it's structured? I mean, do people come for specific projects? I mean, is it, how do they do that? And how long is their commitment? How long does their commitment have to be? Is it just variable project to project? So, so the, one of the most popular program that people uh, jump onto is the Academy programs where, where you actually come for one month and you're participating on a building from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So you get one day in class learning the theory theory of, of the building process. And then the next day you're on site and learning hands-on how to do mm. it. So this is the, the program that, uh, you know, you gain most of the knowledge. Pretty much a lot of people who, who participate in these programs are able to go back and do their own projects. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, uh, there's also internship programs where you can come and only do the hands-on part mm-hmm. and uh, part of the construction. And now we're also working on setting up a bioautonomy academy, uh, online academy. Mm. This is very much thanks to what happened with COVID. And- right. Everyone's online. Mm-hmm. Everyone's online, so and we got so much uh, demand for people wanting to learn. So now we're setting up a whole. We're building it as we're speaking. The curriculum. And when does that? When do you anticipate that being launched? Uh, hopefully this year. Uh huh. Hopefully this year, and, and then we're just going to build on to it, and then eventually, you know, we're going to have different levels where we're going to be able to even offer architects who are already 
you know, working with conventional buildings and just teach them how to switch their way of thinking and designing to, to get along with this. So our goal is to spread our knowledge uh, as much as possible and get as many as people possible to do this. You know, we're, we're only scratching the surface on right. this. There's so much room for everyone to jump on this. Yeah. This is no competition, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have to collaborate to, to exactly. make this group. Yeah, well, I think that's the beauty of it in this building. I think it does become, it is naturally collaborative and it's sort of built in because you're working with nature. And so that nature is naturally collaborative. Exactly. I mean, we've we've been taught in school that, you know, evolution is based on competition. But if if you look in nature, that is not true. You know, if you look at how the roots under the ground Mm -hmm. collaborate, you can see that true evolution is based on collaboration. Yeah, and inter- recognizing our interdependency. You know, I was just curious, who are some of your uh, building muses from ancient cultures? I mean, are you, I mean, probably you have different inspirations, but have there been uh, some cultures that have really impacted the way you build more than others? Well, I, I, I was born in Iran. Mm-hmm. So, and in Iran, we have a, a lot of history of traditional buildings. Uh, and that's pretty much where I started to look into mm-hmm. was um, the, the traditional way we're building in Iran. And I came across this part of Iran called Yazd, where they've built an entire city in the desert. Mm-hmm. And they've pretty much... Uh, most of these design principles that I told you, they were uh, applied to these buildings. Like they were maintaining comfortable buildings in the desert where they had, you know, the, the sun just cooking on their buildings. But they integrated all these uh, systems in their buildings. So when I started looking, and these buildings exist today, you can go and visit them. You can see that it works. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, you know, that, made me start investigating more and then I went into and I started to look you know a lot of ancient buildings in India they were very much focused on water so that's what I got a lot of my inspiration about water and then when it came to geometry and materials I got a lot of inspiration from the ancient Egyptian architecture mm-hmm. so yeah. Well, we, it's uh, phenomenal what you're doing. We're very much inspired by what you're doing. We know that that the global movement will continue to accelerate and that more and more people are going to be drawn into this. And, and we're thankful, actually, to the pandemic to actually kind of have pushed things even more in this direction. I think more and more people had that. The disruption of the pandemic let, made them question, you know, our lifestyles more if they weren't already doing so. And I, I wonder, could you, we're, we're going to wrap up now. And I wondered if you could tell listeners how they can uh, find you, how they can reach out to bioautonomy. What's the best way to be in contact with you? Yes. So we, we have our website, bioautonomy.com. Um, and then we're also on uh, most of the social media platforms. We're on Facebook at bioautonomy, Instagram at bioautonomy, uh, we're on LinkedIn and Pinterest and YouTube. So, you know, wherever platform you're more comfortable, you can join us there and uh, sign up on our website uh, because we're going to notify you as, as soon as we're releasing the Bioautonomy Online Academy. And every time we have a new project where you can get involved, 
you will also be notified about it. Thank you so much, Moina. It's been just amazing to speak with you about this. And uh, it's great to learn that this is happening and it's happening globally. So thank you and all that you are manifesting with Biotonomy. And listeners, check out Biotonomy online, uh, volunteer on project and learn as much as you can. Spread the good word. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guest today, Moeen Nodei. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. This has been Biotonomy Designing Nature-Based Green Buildings and Cities. Please connect with us on social media at EcoJustice Radio and SoCal350. If you like what you heard and you want others to be informed, subscribe to our podcast, share the episodes, and help us continue our efforts by making a donation to the show at ecojusticeradio.org. You have been listening to EcoJustice Radio on KPFK Los Angeles. A project of SoCal 350, the show can be found on kpfk.org, all major podcast apps, and at ecojusticeradio.org. Created by Mark and J.P. Morse, executive producer Jack Ite, producer Jessica Aldridge, engineer Blake Lampkin, interview hosted by Carrie Kim, and original music by Javier Cadre. And until next time, remember, the power is yours.